From Swoop, it's Take the Plunge, a podcast about how business owners decided to stop what they were doing and took the plunge to start their own businesses. We take a look at how they came to that decision and what those first crucial steps were in getting their business up and running. My name is Kieran, and I'll be your host for this episode. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. The traditional recruitment model is very expensive and it doesn't ever work in partnership with a business because the whole premise of a recruiter is unfortunately try and drive the salary up because that's how you get paid more of a fee. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Ross Summers, founder and CEO of Talent Crunch. Talent Crunch is your one-stop shop for talent scaling, fostering a unique approach which establishes a complete solution with the flexibility to evolve as your business does. You're very welcome, Ross. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, very good, Kieran. Great to see you. Hey, lovely to see you too. So, Ross, if you wouldn't mind going back to what you were doing before Talent Crunch and let me know what that was and then why you decided to, I suppose, stop doing that and, and decide to take the plunge in terms of setting up your own business. So prior to, to Talent Crunch, I was uh, at a business called Lorien, which is a, a large tech recruitment business, um, part of a much bigger group called Impellum. So it was very much a corporate business. You know, working with a corporate, within a corporate, as I think you and anyone who's listening will uh, understand, has some great positives, but also there's kind of a lot, there can be a lot of negatives. So for me, it was kind of the restrictions that there were within a, a corporate. Uh, and before that, I'd actually been at a PE-backed, business um, which had one kind of majority investor and before that actually an independent business so kind of almost had a a a nice flavor of all three and always wanted to run my own business and have Hmm. my own kind of my own destiny I guess in in my hands and a couple of times I thought I had especially with the PE backed business I I think I I felt like that was I had a lot of autonomy but actually you know the the, the private equity business that was involved with that uh, actually had kind of the main say so (laughs) I'd always wanted to do it and I'd always wanted also to do something different within recruitment. So for me, recruitment is a very dated model. Um, the way that it operates is very inefficient. It doesn't really give clients that we're working with a lot of value. Um, so the kind of old school model of a percentage of salary is, is not how I'd ever wanted to work. And I always like working with tech startups and tech scale-ups, exciting mm-hmm. businesses, um, you know the, the future of kind of any technology we work with crypto businesses now we work with some really exciting kind of um, fintechs is an exciting business to be within but equally I wanted to develop a model that actually would help these businesses scale and grow and I didn't think I could do that within a corporate business um, yeah. so start the pandemic you know what, what better t- what better time to kind of go and launch your own business um, yeah. I, I started having conversations with <laughs> investors about how because I wanted to launch this business but I wanted to scale it quite quickly and hire people and and, and kind of have the um, backing behind me to be able to do it so I was having multiple conversations with um, investors whilst also thinking you know did I want to go and head up another business somewhere else so it was it was in my mind do I go and kind of be an MD of another business and and do something different with a slightly more independent model or do I do it myself but uh, the thing that actually tipped it was one business where I actually had an offer to be the MD of that business and they asked me to create the business model for the next three years and that, that just solidified it in my mind to go, well, here's the, here's, here's the plan for this business for three years. Why I, I should do it myself. So you know, I guess in, in relation to this podcast, I took the plunge and I yeah. spoke to uh, three different investors and chose the, one, the guys that I went with to, to kind of back me to go with it and 
that was eight, nine months, nine months ago. And so, yeah, it's been a, a pretty interesting journey since then. So Ross, I suppose one of the hardest things when you're starting up your own business is trying to get the investment to, to get you up and running. What was your experience like in trying to land that investment and how did it affect your timelines? In terms of the timelines, um, it, it did fall in line with where I kind of wanted to go to. Um, so actually the, the timelines worked pretty well for, for me in terms of getting the investment. So I didn't pitch to a lot of people. So I think that, that was one key thing. I didn't kind of send a deck out to 100, 200 VCs and kind of hope to kind of hear back. I went specifically mm. for people in my industry. So people within the, the recruitment industry that were already kind of not necessarily big players, but were either investors in recruitment or were large recruitment businesses that wanted to kind of incubate and, and invest in businesses. And my focus was kind of pitching to those guys because that, that I knew were probably a little bit, they, they had an appetite for investment and to do something a little bit new and a little bit interesting mm. being the space that we're in, you know, we're in the tech startup space. Also, I think a, a key thing for me was looking at that market and looking at even within the pandemic, how much investment still went into that market. So for the investors to invest in me, they obviously want a market that's, that's big and, and, and really investable. So I think making sure I knew exactly who I needed to pitch to and doing the research to understand, you know, don't just send your deck out everywhere, like really hone in on a few people and then practicing. Uh, you know, practicing that pitch, practicing that deck um, with my wife, yeah. you know, making sure I knew exactly how I was going to deliver that. Because as you know, and, and you know, it's it's not just about your business and the product, it's about the pitch and it's about engaging those people so that they feel excited that you're going to deliver returns on investment. So that was a big part for me, kind of making sure it's really engaging and, and, and that I could engage people. And did you leverage like the SEIS or EIS uh, investment scheme in terms of taking on investment or did you just take? Um, so project? it was primarily debt and equity. Okay. So you did the convertible loan notes or did you? Um, so we kind of taken debt pretty much from the start. Nice. And how was that as a kind of a, a new startup owner? Was that a daunting experience or just your confidence? I think it was confident in the plan and being able to get clients quickly so that was the real focus so yeah build build a brand that has you know that, that that's kind of engaging that was kind of first part and, and make sure we've got the market fit which we know from the research there's there's definitely kind of a, um, a big market for one our model of recruitment and, and two the market that we're in uh, and then you know sales and new business that had to be the focus for us because we're not necessarily product-led would be yes we we have kind of a, a SaaS model, I guess, in terms of our subscription, but it was really kind of focused on new business and talent, interestingly, you know, bringing people into the business, which is the yeah. hardest part of the job, which is what we do. I suppose, well, just talking into the, the talent side of things, uh, who were the first couple of people when you were getting up on operational and what were the kind of roles that you were looking for? Um, so the first three were all experienced. So I, they, they've all got kind of a minimum of seven, mm. seven to 10 years experience in tech recruitment, which is really important. And they had things that I didn't. So that was really important. You know, they are all stronger in areas mm. that I'm not so strong in. And so I didn't, you know, for, for me, the, the new business sales and kind of outward focus part of the business is, is where I'm, I, I sit quite well. And these guys are much, much, all, all of the people that come into the business have been 
fantastic brought into me for some reason uh, and the journey that we're going on um, and have kind of a mix of skills that I'm not so strong in. And I think for anyone that I would say when you're bringing in your first three or four people into the business who are those critical hires, it's looking at no, there's no point in bringing in three more use because it's not going to help diversify the business and grow it out. Yeah. And uh, in terms of kind of like three more use, do you mean like that in terms of skill set or personality type or is it are you looking constantly for a different mix? I think a mix of the a mix of the all of that. I think you've got to it, there's, there's got to be an attitude and the mindset that's the same mm. or similar. You know, you've all got to kind of want to work in a startup. You've got to want to do the hours that you need to put in and the challenges that come with it where stuff doesn't work and you need to go again and all, all the things that you've got to experience. But you've got to kind of, I think, have a, a mix of, of different personality traits and skills to make it work. And you talked a little bit about the start about kind of disrupting the classic recruitment model and um, targeting that against startups and scale-ups. Uh, how did you kind of come to that kind of solution and kind of talk me through that process? So the first key hires in, in any startup um, and then even moving into kind of a scale-up, the hires make a real difference. Um, pre- previous to this, you know, the one of the brands we worked with was huge, huge global brand at my previous business did 550 hires for them a year uh, in purely in tech. That's a huge, huge amount. And, and one, one hire doesn't make a huge difference to that, that particular brand. Mm. However, if you're a 10 person tech startup and you're hiring your first developer outside of your network of people that you normally yeah. would know and bring in, that's a really, really key hire. And the traditional recruitment model is very expensive. Uh, and, and it doesn't ever work in partnership with a business because the whole premise of a recruiter is unfortunately trying to drive the salary up because that's how you get paid more of a fee. Um, and it's also inherently an ineffective model. So to give you an idea, recruitment businesses generally contingent recruitment where you pay when you find someone fill one in five of the jobs that they're working on. So any recruiter for the roles they're working, they're just not going to fill. Um, so you have to drive, they have to drive the fees up higher. Whereas what we will do is go, right, okay, you know, you need fantastic talent into your business because it makes a difference. But unfortunately, the first part is people don't know who you are yet. yet. Um, so, yeah. you know, let's look at how we engage this talent because tech talent at the moment is in such high demand. They're getting contacted on a regular basis, these uh, engineers and developers and, and product managers, product designers. So let's build your employer brand for you. Not necessarily all of it if you're a smaller business, but how are we actually going to engage people to really want to work in your business? And nine times out of ten, that's the founder's story. Most people who are joining a, yeah. a small business to start with, it's about the founder. So we'll, you know, we might do some video content, we might do some things to really make sure that that stands out, and then we'll do the recruitment process for them. And we'll either do it in two, so we, we actually run all of the interview process. So we'll do the first stage interviews via video link, so you don't have to do them yourself, um, and we'll kind of manage that entire process. And we'll do it for either, if you're a small business and you only need up to maybe 10 hires in a year, we'll we'll do a fixed price. So it'll just be a set project fee where we'll do everything that I kind of mentioned there. Or if it's a larger business and you're looking to kind of really scale, then we work on a subscription model where actually one of our, or even one of our businesses at the moment, two of our recruiters are actually on site as their talent team um, doing. Mm -hmm. And and because as as I mentioned earlier, kind of investment from a larger group, Within that, I've got um, a full marketing team and branding team that then can work with the marketing team in that business to build all of the things that we need to. 
um, and then help with kind of putting technology into the business to CRM systems and ATS systems to be able to kind of track all of the candidates so that we can actually effectively be your internal talent team. Um, and it's it's much more much more cost effective. Um, and you kind of you mentioned obviously how competitive is out there in terms of the the technical talent, uh, whether that's at a product design level or an engineering level. I'm sure it's the exact same though for recruiters in that you've got quite a vast array of recruiters, recruiting platforms, um, who are all competing to I suppose own that relationship as well. So how do you? constantly ensure that you've kind of got a steady supply of talent there that isn't too dormant that is fresh that is active what 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 what, what does that look like for you guys it's a very good question so we actually use a lot of the recruitment platforms that are out there as part of our model so because we tend to be on site or we're mm. working exclusively for a brand we can actually use all of those platforms not all of them but a lot of the platforms right. that, that, that are out there as part of our product offering and we then obviously, because we're acting on behalf of that brand, we are able to promote that brand, get that brand in front of talent. Because a lot of time when talent's going through a, a recruiter, one of the questions they'll ask is, you know, who's the business? What do they do? And, and actually all of that is taken care of because we're effectively kind of the internal talent team. Um, but we're constantly, constantly going out and speaking to people in the market, whether it's research. And um, we're, we're doing a piece at the moment around what's the app, what is the process that developers would like to go through? On an interview do you like a tech test do you like a pair programming test um you know, what is it you'd like to do so we're constantly speaking to, to good talent all the time and, and, and meeting them but it's you know there is a shortage of great people for a, a lot of different industries at the moment and actually just on the kind of the shorter side of things how have you noticed uh kind of the remote in-office technical talent going like has that massively changed because of brexit covid what what are you you seeing in that space it's, from it's really changed uh, a lot of people a lot of businesses now their tech teams are completely remote across the uk but equally now across europe so we've got businesses now that as long as people are within a two-hour time zone they're happy to hire completely across europe and that does it's interesting because it really opens up the talent pool what we probably had 18 mm. months ago was you would want people in the office, you'd look for talent in your location, whether it's London, Manchester, Belfast, whatever, you would look for people who can come into the office. Now, where people are looking completely across Europe, primarily so that the time difference isn't too, too big, it's opening people's eyes. And, and there are you know, European countries where coding is taught as part of uh, schooling. So you can find some brilliant, brilliant talent that you just wouldn't have looked at previously. And have you have you noticed any kind of patterns in terms of particular European countries that are particularly strong, uh, or is it being kind of spread spread across forty seven? Pretty well spread, to be honest. I mean, some of the business, some of the countries that have always been strong, kind of um, Germany, have always had kind of a, a lot. But then you've got a lot of businesses like Pope businesses, countries like Poland. Serbia, Romania, there's some really interesting people coming across mm. um, various different countries now. Um, and that, that, that just opens up the talent pool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a really, really interesting dynamic. Um, and I suppose just kind of going back then to you setting up Get Going, in terms of winning those first clients, how was that experience? Or you had them already good to go uh, in, in the back pocket? Or, or was it classic new business development, signing them up one by one? One by one, signing them up. Um, I had restrictions from where I'd left, so I couldn't touch any clients for six yeah. months. Um, so it was completely cold, new business, going out, 
uh, didn't really even have a website at the time. It was kind of a holding page. Um, so it was just cold new business uh, going out and speaking to people, which is quite intense. Yeah. But, but it still goes on. You know, we're, 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 you've always got to be looking for new new clients and new business and, and developing your products, offering to different people. So yeah, it was it was a lot of just new business for probably three months, pretty much full on. Yeah. And then I suppose, how do you, do you do you straddle then kind of decisioning around kind of expansion whilst also uh, building out your kind of roster of clients? Like, uh, how, how do you balance deciding, okay, I need to get more staff in or I need to focus on the current? Like, what, what does that balance look like? So to begin with, we, the original plan was to hire very quickly for us as a business. Yeah. Um, but actually we kind of tempered that back slightly to go, let's get the clients on board that are manageable and hire a couple of people in which we'll be able to kind of deal with it. Now we're at the stage where we're, we're doing reasonably well um, things are growing mm. and I'm now hiring talent ahead of being able to deliver. Cause what we don't want to do is win clients and then not be able to deliver um, against that. We've yeah. got enough kind of in, in the business at the moment to be able to hire uh, and probably another three or four people but it's it was a kind of really interesting balance and there were definitely a couple of times either way where i was looking at going we don't have enough people to service these clients or we don't have enough clients to be able to, <laughs> to service the people yeah. that we've got so it's a constant kind of balancing act but I, I think a lot of it is about looking at what's what your pipeline is of potential clients and just being able to forecast against that and like is, is that particularly easy to do from a recruitment basis or do you kind of know the signals or hues where you're like mm, that's a, like a 70% likelihood or that's 25% likelihood or is it just an ever-changing zone? It's, it's changing a lot but because our model is all around being kind of project-based or we can, we can predict um, because we're working with our clients to help them develop their hiring plans so we know how many hires they need to make and, and obviously if they've had DC investment, then they've got, they should already have that pretty well mapped out, which we do help some of our clients with. So we roughly know how many hires we need to make, which means we know the headcount we need to put against that. But then equally, yep. the thing that we've been doing at the moment in the background, because even for us, talent and really good recruiters who, who know technology are very difficult to find. We're looking at mm. tech platforms that can help with that. And um, so AI um, that can actually help us to find talent um, as opposed to kind of having people doing some of the searching. I want people yep. speaking to people because um, that can't be done, in my view, by kind of a automation. But actually the searching side of things, there are some really good tools. So I'm doing a mix of kind of looking for talent for the business and, and hopefully hiring another few people instantly, but also having some technology behind us that can help us scale. Awesome. And uh, I obviously we were chatting and noticed you're, you're back in the office there in, in Moorgate. What are your thoughts about kind of this virtual working or getting people back into the office? How, how for your business, do you see it working and, and what would you like to see it look like? So we're working a hybrid model. So we're in two or three days a week, but it's also up my view personally is it, it should be up to kind of the staff as to whether people want to come in or not. Some people work really, really well at home and don't like to be in the office. Other people like that um, environment. Uh, I've got clients who have literally described our office as their hell, you know, having uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of buzz and environment is absolutely uh, you know, uh, not what they want. They like to uh, they like to be kind of away from other people and kind of been able to do their work and get their heads down. And I think there's 
even for me, I, I quite like having the balance of the two where there's days when I am kind of locked yeah. in my office uh, and days where I'm in the office here with, with the rest of the team. Personally, I go start there crazier if I'm at home five days a week. And, and I think when we were on full lockdown, I, I really wanted to get back into the office <laughs> for a couple of days and see some other human beings, not just on a screen. Yeah. Um, and you know, being able to yeah. meet clients again and, and, and have lunches and, and that sort of thing. Um, so my personal view is that you, it should be a balanced hybrid model where if people want to come in, great, but you shouldn't be forcing people to come in because you know it's it should be a personal preference. Um, we have one one day yeah. a month where we all come in, which is kind of like a monthly mm. kickoff and talk about what's happening in the business and um, what we're going through at the time. So that's one day where I do say kind of everyone come in for that, but it's only once a month. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and I suppose looking forward you've obviously done an awesome job in, in getting the funding in getting the talent in at your end and building out a client book how do you foresee the kind of business in the next stage of evolution in terms of what it looks like for you in the next 12 months uh, a lot of change again so uh, we're going through a rebrand at the moment which is really exciting so we're actually looking at our brand positioning looking at our our products it's a really competitive market so our our embedded model um for for tech startups and scale-ups is very competitive. I think we've got some interesting edges, but it is a very competitive landscape. So we want to have a brand that really stands out. Then we want to look at location. So at the moment, we're all based dotted around the UK, but kind of some of our clients are European. We want to move into uh, European countries as kind of locations and bases, and also across into the US, where obviously the tech market's huge. And um, so for, for me, it's now looking at kind of the brand, our new business strategy, talent, and then also kind of territories and locations around the world uh, and then kind of a marketing stream that goes all all below that and um, so pretty much everything uh, over the next kind of 12 months a bit going on here and um just keeping me busy um but all challenging i think that's the i, ev- I think yeah. the biggest thing for any kind of founder and i'm sure you found it yourself is i feel out of my comfort zone pretty much every single day oh yeah every minute and kind of yeah. question myself um am i doing this right uh <laughs> All these guys that are working for me, trust me, uh, do I know what I'm doing? I'm not sure. So, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's great. And, 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 I, and but, but there's the highs and lows of that. And I'm sure you found it as well. You know, there's some, some great days where you, yeah, you win yeah. a, a new client or you've hired someone brilliant that you've been after for a while or some, you know, some great wins. And then there's other days where it's like, how, how, do I do, how do I do this? I have no idea what I'm doing. But I think for, for me, the, the big help for me is in actually having some other people around me. So I've got a great non-exec director who's hugely experienced and I can lean on to, to ask advice. So I definitely say that for other kind of mm. founders is having a network of either other founders or non-exec directors or other experienced people to lean on because there are days when it can be, as you know, quite quite a lonely time, even if you've got yeah. a, you know, a business that's running with lots of people. I think, yeah, I think that's a really, really important point um, and, and something kind of founders don't often think about because rightly they're headstrong on, on kicking things off but yeah you probably do need counsel early days like sometimes people get from my again just my opinion but get way ahead of themselves and start setting, setting up these mad boards for like a startup business that doesn't even have three employees and you're like a little bit over the top but actually having as you say a couple of advisors that you can float ideas up or gripes or just talk through the painful moments and often it's just having someone there that's done it and been reassuring and and can rationalize with you when you're probably not being your most rational can can definitely be uh incredibly yeah, useful completely agree with you yeah it's it, it's been a, 
a godsend for me. It's really helped on a few a few occasions where I've kind of been going, "Am I doing this right? I, I I'm not sure. <laughs> I think it's, I think so, but actually, um, and and I think those those times where we've we've had some absolute fails where we were so excited about doing something and then it's just completely flopped and you can look at it go that's an amazing idea um no one bought it so uh, i think it's just being able to kind of then what one of our one of my kind of values of the business is embracing change um which i just think you you have to be able to do and like like with our with our clients and with you guys you know if you've got something you've got to trial it test it get it to market quick, see if something works, or even internal policies or whatever it might be, test things, try it out, and if it works, great, fails, fail fast and, and go again. Um, and just take those as learnings because you're going to have a lot of them. Absolutely. Um, and then I suppose, well, yeah, because we would we would try and adopt similar uh, kind of strategies to that, but then I suppose it's also educating uh, culturally, internally, that's what you're doing. So people aren't like, ah, what the fuck's going on here? Or like... <laughs> So you, you, as long as you get that experimental kind of culture through through to people, I think uh, it, it, it can be really, really beneficial because then it starts to encourage more people to think in that way and, and to try things out. Because I, I, I don't know what it's like for you, but for, certainly for me, there's nothing more satisfying when someone comes to you with an amazing idea and then they go and absolutely nail it. And you're like, amazing. More, more of yeah. that, please. Wonderful. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's interestingly, so our, our values are something that I put together pretty much as soon as I launched the business. And idea, idea generation is one of them, embracing change is, is another. I think they're so important that everyone has that um, that opportunity because, mm. as you said, it's, it's not necessarily the founders that have to come up with all, all the ideas. In fact, it shouldn't be most of the time. Um, uh, and that, mm-hmm. that's the exciting thing about it when you're a, a fast-moving startup, you can try ideas out when you're part of a, a big global corporate you can't uh, unfortunately that's you know that's kind yeah. of the, the one of the great things of being a startup but it's also one of the can be one of the negatives that you, you you're constantly changing things and, and and trying new stuff out and that can be quite tiring absolutely uh well ross i mean it sounds like you've got uh, absolutely the right attitude and abundance so uh from from our side I couldn't wish you any more luck in your global domination across Europe and North America over the next 12 months. Uh, but honestly, thank you so much for coming on. It was it was so insightful to kind of hear you to walk through all aspects of the business and being t- so transparent. So I massively appreciate that, Ross. Thanks so much. No worries, Karen. Great to ca- chat to you.